KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning and welcome to KCR Live. It's Monday morning, the 28th of August, 5 past 10. Brian Redmond with you until 12 o'clock this morning. Well, around about 20 past 11, we'll be catching up with Larry Donnelly. He's the director of the Kennedy Summer School. He'll be telling us all about the programme of events they have coming up um, over the next few days. Also, Dr. Diane Cooper, CEO of EduFit. She's developed a new Men Are Well at Work programme and she joins us to discuss wellness for women at work at all stages of life. After 11, Samantha Ross from the Canine College will be here. Colin O'Hare, General Manager at the Ormond Hotel, will be discussing the potential scrapping of that reduced 9% VAT rate in the hospitality sector. And although secondary school leavers aren't the only ones to be nervous considering their third level education options, we discussed the fact that one in 12 adults um, engage in third level education later in life. That all coming up all throughout this morning. Text and WhatsApp lines are open. The dinner's ready. Text and WhatsApp line 083. 306-9696 you can of course free phone us on 1800 or you can give us an email kclrlive at kclr96fm.com now to kick a Monday morning off we want to brighten things up a little bit yes well the weather might not be uh, too much seaside based but our friends at Tremor Amusement Park wish to thank all of their customers uh, for the continued support right through 2023 and to show that appreciation we've got a book of 10 tickets uh, to the amusement park to give away each day this week so that's five books of 10 tickets 50 tickets I suppose but we're looking for five winners over the course of the week one each day all you have to do to be in with the chance of picking up that book of 10 tickets for today is answer the following question the Gwilgors out there amongst you should really find this quite easy Tramore means what? Oh wait, three three zero six nine six nine six. You can text or WhatsApp us the answer to that question and get your hands on those tickets. With thanks, as we said, to our friends at Tremore Amusement Park, and we've also got some money to give away. A new clue in the uh, La Hearts ID Mystery Sound competition that will be coming your way a little bit later on. Some roads to tell you about first of all. Chapel Hill, well that will be closed to traffic today until 7pm approximately to facilitate road works, local diversions in place. The stop-go system will be in operation also tomorrow the 29th of August on the OR448 at the New Rath um, from the roundabout to the railway crossing just to facilitate some roadworks in there and lane closures uh, in place from 6.30am to 1pm and delays to traffic can be expected throughout the day. In water news, well water will be off from 1 to 4 and that's affecting Shees Town, that's Kilry Park Kilkenny Road, Bennett's Bridge and of course Ishka Aaron and Kilkenny County Council as always, apologise for any inconvenience caused Time to get on with things as we said, you can get in contact with us 083 306 9696 with any comment you've got on anything that we're discussing today. Now Laura Young uh, former guard, Carla woman featured recently on a primetime special Blue Flights in which three former guards spoke about leaving the force. We're going to hear a little clip of Laura um, in just a moment before I play that clip just to give you a bit of a little warning on it. It does contain some sensitive content. Um, it mentions body parts and just to flag that before we have a chat with Laura. Oh wait, three, three oh six nine six nine six. Here's Laura recently talking on that primetime special. As it was the middle of the night, resources were quite low and we were to attend, gain access through this 
staff gate and walk along the dart tracks with gloves on and pick up body parts and put them into a body bag. And I remember two members having to leave. They just couldn't cope. I definitely felt like that that was... Sorry. I definitely felt like that incident was a pivotal moment in my career, my former career, where my mental health started to become a little bit shaky. And then everything else was just layers on top of that, to the point where I needed help from my doctor. And Laura Young joins us in studio. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for having me, Ron. Um, when I watched that primetime special, it was that very moment that sort of caught me out because the moment where you almost got emotional mm. um, suggested to me the fact that the experiences that you had had in the guards were experiences that you hadn't yet fully dealt with and processed. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that in detail, take me right back to when you had a glint in your eye and you decided that you wanted to change the world and become a guard. How old were you and what motivation did you have? I was 20 years of age. I wasn't one of those kids who always wanted to be a police officer. In fact, I actually wanted to be a prison guard on death row because I'd seen the Green Mile. I don't know why that influenced me in that way, but it did. Um, I actually remember seeing an advertisement maybe in a local paper saying the guards are recruiting and I said, oh, I might give that a go. I'll throw my hat in the ring, see what happens. One, two, skip a few. I'm standing in my dorm room in Templemore with a suitcase in my hand thinking to myself, okay, I guess I'm doing this then. So and do you think it. you maybe hadn't thought it through fully? Or, oh no, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm sure that it's not the most inspirational story. I just thought I'd give it a go. And I did give it a go for 14 years. Some really good years, some not so great years. Um, but yeah, I had lots of experiences in that job. It definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. In what way? A lot more crack and fun than I thought. It was. Yeah, Yeah. because I think we all have this preconceived notion that police people, guards are like robots. You never see them like eating or drinking from a bottle of water or having fun. So I actually got to see that we, they are humans too. Yeah, and um, you said we, they. I have to say they now, don't I? No, you sort of I still find myself referring to myself as them, but I have to, I have to separate myself now don't I I'm no longer part of the tribe so for 20 years of age uh, go to Templemore yeah. pass out where were you stationed first South Dublin um, a nice leafy part of suburban South Dublin really really nice um, I joined right before the big embargo so I was like the rookie the newbie for years and years and years um, and as I mentioned it was those were kind of the best years even though pay was being cut pretty frequently there was a lot of news outlets reporting like negative things about the guards or whatever we still had fun there was still camaraderie there were tons of resources I remember in our area you could have between six and eight patrol cars covering and then as numbers dwindled over the years and before I left the beat as it were we have maybe one to two patrol cars covering where eight patro- patrol cars would have covered previously. And so what year are we talking? So what what year are we talking? Like 2015, 16? Or are we talking yeah. before that? Around about that sort of yeah, time? Yeah, 16 to 18, I would say. And 18 is when an option, an opportunity came up for me to go into an office, which I gladly took because I was done with my workload multiplying with combined with colleagues dwindling. And, and the crack that you talked about when you first went in, did you notice that that sort of crack that we all need in our working lives, whatever it might be, to help yeah. us get through the day? Yeah. Did you notice that level of crack sort of diminishing oh, yeah, as, as resources sure. as were As people also- get peed off, of course, naturally enough. Morale, when morale goes down, so does the fun and the laughter. Um, and laughter and fun is integral in a, in a job like this because some aspects of it are so serious that you have to have that balance, I feel. Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier that you felt touched by that one particular incident I mentioned so that is 
I don't want to say it's a normal incident to see in the guards but it is you kind of when you sign up you know you're going to see traumatic things but I feel from a human being perspective it's definitely not normal for anyone to see that volume that frequently Mm. I probably like trigger warning suicide I probably attended 20 25 incidents of successful suicides is it normal for any human to see that 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 often? No, of course it's not. But I mean, you know, when we talk about the guards, when we talk about the foreign ambulance services and indeed hospital workers, nurses, mm-hmm. doctors, the tragedy they come across in their lives is huge. But they they know that when they sign up. True, and it it's yes, you do know that when when you sign up. But surely there should be protocols in place to help you process. So you talk to me about the protocols that are or where in place when you were in the guards. Okay, so I can only speak obviously to my experience. If you go to a particularly traumatic incident, be it a really bad traffic accident or a really gory um, death, usually someone called the welfare officer will call you within 24 hours. Mm. Um, They will check Pulse, the Garda information system, to see what happened overnight within my area. They usually cover like three or four divisions and they will say, oh, that's really like gnarly. I should probably contact the members who were involved there. Um, They'll ring and say, how are you doing? You feeling okay? Do you feel like you need to speak to someone? And they will refer on if needs be. Trouble is, that's only for the particularly bad incidents. A suicide probably wouldn't constitute a call from a welfare officer. Unfortunately. So you said that, you know, over your time in the guards, you've been somewhere between 20 and 40. Yeah. Um, as you said, successful um, um, suicides. Which is a terrible way of putting it. I know, yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, unfortunately, that's yeah. the way it is. <clears throat> um, did you ever receive any calls from the Guard Welfare Office for any of those suicides? The only time I got a phone call from welfare was after the train incident. Okay. Yeah. And would... That was your experience. Would other guards obviously had similar experiences or did you just fall through the cracks in some sort of way, shape or form? I think it was much the same for for every member. Maybe things have improved lately. I have a family member who is in the organisation still right now and he attended a particularly horrible scene a couple of weeks ago and I was fully expecting him to get a phone call. No, it doesn't seem that things have improved at all, really. So you went from being a a guard on the beat dealing with these instances physically in terms Mm -hmm. of you actually being there um, again, I mean, you mentioned that particular incident on the train tracks. Mm. And again, just to give a warning to people who are listening in, you, you mentioned it in the primetime documentary. Mm. Talk us through how, maybe not so much the incident itself, but how, the guards that were in attendance that day, obviously at some point ended up back in the station. Yes. What would the atmosphere in station be like in the hours or days after an incident like that? Funnily enough, I don't actually remember immediately following I'd say maybe I blocked it out probably but I do remember the following day everyone who was at that incident was to attend um, at this particular location where a schism was carried out which is a critical incident scene management maybe I'm not sure what SM stands for and like a really high ranking fire officer was brought in who has like lots of qualifications in psychology and psychiatry and we gathered in a circle and we all talked about our feelings but sure half of us were bawling crying um, had to leave the room um, and then we were all told if you need therapy, like handed out business cards, there's there's the counsellor to go and see, um, look after yourself, see you later. So it, it does seem that the the, the guards and, and those involved in trying to support the guards that are on the beat or on the duty, the, that they are trying to make an effort. Do you feel that they are under-resourced possibly For as well? For sure. As I mentioned earlier, there's a welfare officer, but they cover every Dublin Garda station south of the Liffey. That's a lot of stations, a lot of incidents. Um, and then there's one for the north side as well. 
it's a huge huge area and I'd say they're under resourced as well so it's definitely not a blame game where I'm saying they're not doing enough I just think like everything in the organisation seems to be like a, an under resource issue and we've heard so many stories recently about you know the guards the numbers of guards on the beat the numbers of guards who we need to get into the service what yeah. those numbers compare to versus those who are actually going in yeah. um, what do you think is the biggest thing that stops young people because we've still got the under 35s or over 35 restriction as well so mm. most people going into the guards are young people what's the biggest thing that stops them is it having to deal with circumstances like that or is it the brass tacks of working as a guard the pay versus the conditions I don't think it's the incidents because guards have always had to deal with those incidents I don't think that's going to be the issue I think it's I hate to say it but the media portrayal of the guards lately mm. um, I think that probably affects people when you're in what way? I feel like there's a very well it's for the last 10 years or so I feel like there's now maybe this is a personal bias but there's a very anti-Garda rhetoric among the media do you think so? yeah why? Or, or not so much why but what type of coverage have you seen in the media that suggests there's an anti-Garda rhetoric I mean we have we have guards on here every every week mm-hmm. for community assist mm-hmm. we've great crack with them that's good they do a service they they, they tell people and also about the instance that have occurred across Kenny and Carlo so they give report. people a huge report yeah I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether I would agree with that I haven't seen um, many I don't believe reports in the media that would paint the guards in a bad light. I'll give you an example. This is from a few years ago. Do you remember when the penalty points being cancelled? Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Do you remember listen, that? Everybody goes through little controversies like that, but True. I don't think that, I don't think that's directed at individual guards. Well, the guard. media lines always said Gardy. Fun fact, not so fun fact. Gardy mm. could never cancel penalty points. Sergeants mm. could never cancel penalty points. It was only officers and above. Okay, but so yet the media, the guards, the media's got the a, guards. The guards. Well, yeah. they are the guards at the end of the day. They are, but there should be a distinction made between the guys who are on the beat who actually wouldn't have been able to do that, and the officers who yeah. would. Okay, yeah, that's just um, one example. Yeah, so you think the media is a part of it as well? So mm, rates of pay, conditions, work conditions. Oh, for sure. Now I was quite fortunate, like. It's a very privileged thing to say, but pay wasn't one of my reasons for leaving. Very, very privileged. However, I was on the pre-2013 contract, which was significantly better than the 2013 onwards contract. I believe the pension is crap now. Um, It's not. And I also feel like COVID, like every every industry experienced like the the great COVID. What do they call it? The COVID... um, Everyone quitting their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's affecting things too. And people are realising life is too short. And that's... That was a big moment for me. So I had 14 years done and there's a big thing. Oh, you only do 30 years in the guards. I had to do 34 years because I have to work till 55. So I was looking down the barrel of 20 more years in this job and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I can't do 20 more years. So what, what would you say to the likes of the minister, for example, in, in terms of trying to, what does the, what needs to actually be done to improve the work-life balance, the conditions? The, I think the, the first step is acknowledging there's a problem mm. and there doesn't seem to be much of that going on among upper management. Uh I believe Commissioner Harris made a statement the other day saying he doesn't accept that there's a morale issue. I think it's time to listen to the guys on the ground. Admit there's a problem. Ask how this problem can be alleviated and work on that. But mm. I think admit, admitting that there's a problem is uh, is the first step. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure Commissioner Harris, I mean, is going to become aware of the fact that, you know, there's something going to need to be changed, whether whether it's an actual problem or just, mm. you know, the fact that we've got, you know, such high rates of employment, for example, the guards, joining the guards might not necessarily be somebody's first port of call because mm. there's so many options out there in terms of employment now. But you experienced the guards through a number of different prisms, if you like, because you were on the beat during your early days. Mm. You then also worked in... Um, communication centre. Communication centre. Yeah. Um, what was the experience like in the communication centre? Because now, I'm, 
I'll, I'll, I'll put it, you've got a much easier possibly role in certain ways because sure. you're not out there. You're not yeah. you're And that's why I took facing. it. Hands up. That's why I took it because I thought it would be a lot easier. Um, and in aspects, it was. You start your job at this time, you finish at this time, there's no taking work home with you, there's no court, very little, very little to no paperwork. However, there are other stressors as well. Working in the control room can get extremely stressful. It can go from zero to 100 very, very quickly. Mm. And that definitely does affect you because you're kind of a little bit on edge all the time. Because at any moment, a car pursuit could kick off or there could be a robbery, yeah. there could be a tiger kidnapping. You literally don't know what's going to happen from moment to moment. But equally, so when I went into the control room, we were like fairly well staffed. Numbers began to dwindle there too. So a bit like what had happened on quote unquote the outside started to happen in the control room as well where um, say there was an area that used to have four members dispatching within it would suddenly become three. Mm. Oh well if we can work on three we can work, we can work on two. So again workload grew manpower down same issues. Yeah, and then so I had um, a couple of issues with a manager making horrible remarks to me as well. Yes, but that's just like the cherry on top. Yeah. The straw that broke the camel's back shall we say. Um, and how long did, before the camel's back broke did the camel decide to leave? About, oh, I can tell you exactly, April. I remember ex- I remember the exact moment I said, I am not coming back to this job. In April, I made the decision and on the 1st of July, I sent them my resignation email. And how was that received? I received one email reply saying, resignation received, please arrange to have your PPE and uniform dropped back to this Garda station. All the best. That's the last, last and only contact I received since. And again, I mean, I don't know whether you've spoken to other guards who might have left the force also. Again, would that be a sort of fairly common thing? Or? I haven't actually asked. I must ask. Yeah. I just was really surprised after giving 14 years service. I thought they'd wa- they'd be a bit more curious as to why. Because I think in most workplaces, if somebody's resigned, there'll generally be some sort of, I would have thought. Exit interview. Exit interview, yeah, yeah. In terms of, you know, listen, it was great. To, even if it's just a case of... Is everything it's, okay? Is everything okay? It was great to have you here. Yeah. So, sorry that yeah, you decided no, to... But nothing like that, yeah. no. So that kind of affirmed for me. Right choice. Yeah, but again, I mean, those people to give them some sort of, uh, you know, you know, working in an HR department, they may be understaffed, they may be under-resourced and may not have the capabilities to get around to other staff as Perhaps. well. Talking, you know, about going back to the start when you first decided that you were, you know, thinking about joining the guards, is it a decision that you regret? No. I mean, because you've done, as all of the guards do, and, and here's sort of going back to the opposite of the point that you made earlier on about the media, the guards out there do a fantastic job. Most. Yeah, most. Some don't, well, but like any organisation. You, yeah, you've got a situation where they're dealing with very difficult work practices yes. in terms of what they actually have to do as their job. Yes. They're dealing with the public. You know, they're going to be dealing with people when they're in their worst moments of their yes. lives. You know, even if it's even if it's a basic traffic stop for speed and people are... No one wants to see the no, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. we enjoy them coming in here every Wednesday afternoon, but yeah. apart from that, you don't want to be seeing That's rare, though. So, they do a great job. In general. Like, yeah. like, you take any organisation that has 13,000 employees, you're going to have some that are a bit lazy, some that go above and beyond. Um, yeah, for sure. But So from that point of view, do you look back on that whole experience with regret? No. I, I probably regret not leaving a little bit sooner. However, this is so cliche and like cringe to say, but my experiences have definitely shaped me. Yeah. For sure. But I probably, I wish I'd had a bit more life experience before going in then I mightn't have joined. So who knows? But I, I definitely don't regret it. I've had such good times. I've made friends for life. And that's why I'm doing all these media interviews. This is not for clout. I don't exactly have the best crack doing these, but I'm doing this in the hopes of making a bit of noise. Maybe someone in management might pay heed but and Laura, it might make a difference. Is, is there a potential? Is there a potential? And maybe a difficult question, slightly confrontational, but we're going to ask it anyway. Is, it a, is there any potential that the noise, as you put it, that you're making might just 
be the thing that tips some young people who are thinking about joining the force the wrong way and stops them joining the force and therefore as a result of that actually makes conditions work worse for your friends that are still in the force I mean you should be maybe for the they'll, they'll be sitting there going oh Lord please you know yeah okay address these issues but on the other side of it talk about the good things that, that come from being as part of the guys because we need help that's a really good point. It's probably something I should really put in my pipe and smoke. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. But like, how, how do I strike that balance? Yeah. I need to make, as I said, like, I can't just sit here and softly, softly say, oh, well, it's really, it's great for the most part, because that would be a lie. Yeah. Uh, well, you found it difficult and challenging for sure. I did. Um, if somebody in your life was a little bit younger than you and thinking about coming and joining the guards for the first time, without, you know, without telling them what to do one way or yeah. the other, what would be the one line of advice that you would give them rather than saying do or don't? I'd probably start with a question and that question would be why? And I suspect the answer would be like, I want to help people. Hopefully it would be, I want to help people and I want to do something fulfilling. And I would probably reply with, the police is not the most fulfilling job in the world. How often do you actually get to see a case finished where it's come to fruition, everything is happy days very very rarely so if you're looking for fulfillment it's probably not the job for you um and also manage expectations when you're going in yeah for sure yeah laura young really really interesting i mean it's uh, as you said it's, it's not all roses in the garden certainly when you're a guard um good times and bad times mm-hmm. and finding the balance um is going to be a challenge and i hope i'm not like as i said there were great times i've made such good friends and there will be friends for life so i hope i'm not completely doom and gloom um, as I said, like it was the best of times, but it was also the worst of times. And again, it's all coming from my own experience as well. And what are you going to do into the future? Who knows? 37 years of age, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> well, there you go. That's probably the best way to live your life. Well, <laughs> young, uh, former guard, thank you very much for joining us Thanks, this morning Brian. on KCLR Live. 26 minutes past 10 o'clock. Uh, we'll be back with you. And indeed, Laura, Laura, Larry Donnelly will be joining us just after this short break. KCL or Live, with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Now, 28 minutes past 10 o'clock. It's Brian Redmond with you here on KCLR Live. The 2023 Kennedy Summer School takes place in New Ross from this Thursday and continues right the way through until September the 2nd. Larry Donnelly is the director of the Summer School, but he's also on one of the panels and moderating. So he should be able to talk us through the whole programme of events. And he's here with us this morning to do just that. Good morning to you, Larry. Good morning, Brian. I'll do my best to talk, uh, talk us through a re- really action-packed and full program. Um, I'm going to uh, open this conversation up. I have to say that your accent, and I've heard you talk so many times, that Boston accent, um, I absolutely love it. And I think it's the Kennedys and connection with that Boston accent. You know, it's, it's, it is the American accent for anybody who's Irish. I absolutely love it. Talk before we get into the Kennedy Summer School about that relationship between the uh, US and us here in Ireland. Well, of course, I mean, it's, to people like me, it's a sacred one. I mean, I don't think there's the likes of it uh, you can find anywhere else in the world in terms of the connections between uh, Ireland and the United States. And, you know, I suppose what I'm most uh, used to is the connections between uh, my home city of Boston and, and uh, Ireland uh, are, you know, extraordinary. And those ties uh, have sustained us. Of course, there are challenges now for the, the relationship between Ireland and the United States, principally because... Uh, the transatlantic flow of, of people has slowed to a trickle. So there are challenges ahead, but there are strong ties there uh, that we can build on, and that's one of the main things uh, that the Kennedy Summer School is built around, this idea that we need to work and find new innovative ways to sustain 
uh, what is a mutually beneficial, uh, again, sacred relationship between our two countries. And the uh, trickle of Americans to Ireland was certainly a lot more than that this weekend. Over 40,000 Americans coming to our shores this weekend for both the college football game in the Aviva Stadium and an event taking place in the Dole. Were you at the match on, on Saturday evening yourself? I, I, didn't, I didn't make it up to the game, no, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, look, it's great to see uh, so many Americans coming over here. Indeed, this is another part of that effort to sustain this relationship because uh, a lot of the people who came over, they wouldn't have been to Ireland before, but the reports are that, you know, they said they had a fantastic time. Uh, and they weren't just in Dublin. I mean, I, I live here in Wicklow, and uh, there were lots of people down in Wicklow. I know that there was a tremendous number uh, in Galway and Kerry throughout the country. So uh, it really was, uh, you know, a good event. And, and again, they'll go back to wherever they come from the United States with nothing but favorable reports uh, about Ireland. And, of course, uh, tourism is another linchpin uh, in the relationship. So, and again, these people come back, they'll, they'll think about sending uh, their children here to study, all those sorts of things. So it's these kind of efforts, these kind of initiatives uh, are going to really be crucial to, again, uh, sustaining the relationship. And before we get into all the details of Kennedy Summer School itself, I mean, your own family is the perfect model of that relationship between Ireland and the USA. Obviously, you're living here in the USA, but many of us will have heard of a Donnelly visa. Is there any connection? Yeah, that's right. That's uh, my, my, my dad's brother, uh, who sadly passed away uh, earlier this year. But my, my Uncle Brian was uh, a state representative first, a, a longtime member of the United States Congress, and then subsequently uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Trinidad and Tobago in the Clinton administration. Uh, but he's principally known in Ireland, anyway, for uh, his work on the Donnelly visa. And that really came about uh, in the troubled 1980s economically here. Uh, and lots of young Irish people were going to his district, which was then uh, the most Irish congressional district in the United States. Uh, and their their older uh, family members were going to my uncle and saying, look, uh, the kids today can't come over here. They can't get legal status uh, like we were able to do so many years ago. Uh, you got to do something. And Brian uh, rolled up his sleeves and got to work. Uh, and as a result, tens of thousands of Irish people uh, got the right to live and work permanently uh, in the United States. And what I always say uh, to people is that it's why you go around Boston and Vines or you go around New York uh, and you'll see lots of young men and women with names like Oshin and Siobhan uh, and Orla and all that sort of thing. And that's a direct result of uh, they're the children of people who got Donnelly visas. So again, uh, it was a great effort. And I think uh, the only thing I'll say is that I wish uh, others would come along because uh, we still have lots of young Irish people who want to go live the American dream. Uh, and I just wish it was easier for them to do so. And instead, uh, America's loss has become uh, the cane of Canada, Australia mm. and elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, does that sadden you that, you know, the American dream has now become the Canadian dream or the Australian dream? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I see it, you know, visibly uh, on the streets uh, of Boston. Uh, the Irishness is still very much there uh, in Boston, but it's certainly not like it was uh, when I grew up, when, you know, the, the majority of my friend's parents were Irish born. Uh, every bar, uh, restaurant, uh, you know, they were all Irish people, owned them, worked in them. Uh, you know, when you picked uh, an electrician or a plumber or a contractor, et cetera, uh, county loyalties uh, came into it. That's how, that's, how strong, that's how strong the Irishness was. And so, for instance, uh, you know, my own family, uh, you know, whenever we had people working in the house, uh, they were invariably from Galway because that's where uh, our family came from. So that's, that's how strong it was. It's not like that anymore. Uh, but I'd love 
to the, and it probably never will be like that anymore. And that's a good thing because people don't have to leave this country. But still, uh, I wish that there was uh, an easier pathway for uh, the countless young Irish people behind me who say, I'd love to go to America, even if I, just for a few years. Uh, I think they should be able to do so. The Irish have contributed so much to the United States. I wish that pathway was open to them. Well, despite that pathway becoming less trodden than it may have been over previous deca- decades, the um, the Kennedy business, the Kennedy Summer School, um, seems to be going from strength to strength. I mean, the program of events this year kicking off on Thursday and uh, running right through the weekend to uh, Saturday, the second of September. Firstly, a massive amount of speakers and and very varied. I mean, you've got people like Martin O'Neill. You've got some celebrity celebrity politics panels, including people like Terry Prone, for example. And you've got Mairead McGuinness uh, celebrating 50 years of Ireland and the EU. Um, what would you say is going to be the highlight of the programme of events? There's lots of different things, Brian. I think you're right. Sometimes people come to us and say, what is the theme going to be of this year's summer school? And we respond to them quite bluntly. The theme, as ever, is this is a festival of Irish and American politics, history, and culture. And there is literally something in the program uh, for everyone. Uh, you've named some of our high-profile high guests, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but two things I would also highlight. One is uh, a forum that we're having uh, on Friday morning in St. Michael's Theatre uh, on the southeast, the southeast region, mm. uh, and uh, I suppose it, it's economic future and it's economic vitality uh, and ensuring that, uh, you know, in a post-Brexit era in terms of EU relations, and we have a really good group uh, of heavy hitters from uh, the southeast region, all sorts of stakeholders, uh, academics, business people, government agencies, uh, workers, representatives, all sorts of things. And I think that one uh, will be really good. And also, uh, one of the uh, events that I'm really excited about uh, on Saturday is we have uh, James Cavill and Mary Matlin, uh, the quintessential uh, American politics power couple. Uh, James Cavill was, was Bill Clinton's campaign manager in 1992. He's the one who coined the famous political phrase, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, and he's married to Mary Matlin, who was on the other side. She was working on the George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, presidential campaign. So you have a Democratic uh, political strategist, a Republican political strategist, uh, who found love uh, and remain married and happily married all these years <laughs> later. And, and they're going to talk about what that means, how, uh, despite the, the, the fact that America is so divided right now, uh, that the love, love conquers all, I suppose, and they have a very interesting story to tell. And as always, Brian, there's a great Irish connection here because um, Audrey Cavill, who listeners will know as the host, uh, one of those of RT's Morning Island program, she's actually a distant cousin of James Cavill, and she is going to be moderating the discussion. So there's always a connection there somewhere. Larry, do you think love could exist across the modern-day political divide in the U.S., or has it become so entrenched and so distant now that uh, never the twain shall meet? I think it's getting harder and harder, I have to say. I mean, really, uh, the stratification or, or the polarization uh, of political opinion, uh, very sadly to me in the United States, you have people who, and I think oftentimes it comes from the left, to be frank with you, uh, people who say, I cannot speak to somebody uh, who supports Donald Trump or who espouses conservative positions uh, and vice versa. And to me, that's terribly sad. Uh, I think I think the world would be a very boring place if we agreed on everything, uh, and I, we certainly don't need to. But sadly, uh, that is the way things have gone uh, in the United States, and I think it's partly because 
uh, in America, we have too many crusaders. We have too many people who think that they're absolutely right and the other side is absolutely wrong, uh, and they fail to recognize the fact uh, that this world uh, of ours is gray. It's not black and white. And Larry, I mean, I've commented on this in another discussion last week. It seems absolutely amazing to me that a country the size with the power of the US and, and again, such a strong political history is looking like it's going to face into another general election where potentially the two main protagonists are going to be Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden. Both, obviously, um, have, people would argue, things to bring to the role, but also both possibly quite seriously lacking in other ways as well. Is it really the case that the two biggest political names in the U.S. are only going to be Trump and Biden? Yeah, you know, it it is quite a sad and shocking indictment uh, of American democracy that, uh, you know, not not just limiting it to the two of them, but also uh, if you look at the the leadership of the United States Congress, uh, we have quite an elderly cadre of uh, people who cling to power and in many ways uh, can't fully relate uh, as much as they might say they do, but can't fully relate uh, to the America of 2023. Uh, I didn't think we would wind up back in this uh, position, uh, you know, where we'd have a rerun of uh, Trump and Biden. I mean, I should say that morally speaking, and I, I'm trying to be objective here, not partisan, but I think morally speaking, um, there really is no uh, equivalency between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I think Donald Trump has proven by his actions. Uh, that he's on a different level, unfortunately. But that having been said, uh, Joe Biden, I, I don't think it's a speaking out of school to say that, look, um, the man is elderly, the man is frail. Uh, it's an open question as to whether he actually is capable of serving another four years uh, in the White House. So we have the sad prospect of what is going to be an ugly, uninspiring rematch. And the question I often get asked, just as you're asking me now, is in a country of 330 million people, so diverse, so much talent, so rich in every possible way. Why is it that we are facing down the barrel of this rematch? And people say it to me all the time, and quite frankly, I don't have a good enough answer for them. Yeah, listen, Larry Donny, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you for the first time here on KCLR Live, and certainly in my case, um, personally, uh, looking forward to everything that the Kennedy Summer School has to offer, not just this year, uh, but into the years ahead, and, and delighted to have such a connection uh, to the Kennedy family and indeed the greater American population here in the Southeast. Best of luck with everything for the week ahead, and thanks for your time this morning. Thanks a million, Brian. Just one quick one. KennedySummerSchool.ie. If anybody wants tickets, there's still a few left. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, Larry Donnelly, thanks for joining us this morning. Larry Donnelly, their director of the uh, Kennedy Summer School. And as he said, tickets still available at KennedySummerSchool.ie. Just gone 20 minutes to 11 this morning. We'll be back in a couple of moments' time and I'll be talking to Dr. Diane Cooper. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR. Yes, it's now 17 minutes to 11 o'clock. So many children starting school for the first day today and lots of people sending texts and WhatsApps asking if we could pass on special wishes. Somebody who's done just that said, uh, could we please wish Louise Codd the very best of luck for her first day of big school in St. Joseph's National School in Hackettstown. That's from uh, Louise's auntie Jen and cousin Holly. I'm sure many of you out there um, enjoying, maybe maybe the odd tear here or there as so many of those 
little people uh, go off to start big school. It's always such, such a milestone. Also, lots of entries coming in for our competition this morning. Tremor Amusement Park wanted to thank all of their customers for the continued support right throughout the year. And to show that appreciation, we've got a book of 10 tickets to the amusement park to give away. The question we've been asking you this morning is, what does Tremor mean in Irish, well in English it's obviously an Irish word, 0833069696 you can get your entries in by texting or whatsapping that dinner's ready text and WhatsApp number. Um, keep them coming in. Um, in the moment, I'm going to be spoken to uh, Dr. Diane Cooper. She's CEO of EduFit, a clinical exercise psychologist and health researcher who's developed a new Menno Wealth at Work programme, which rolls out in September in association with Carlow County Chamber. Uh, she joins us now on the show to talk about that programme events. Good morning and welcome along to KCLR Live, Dr. Diane Cooper. Good morning, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it's a pleasure as always. I mean, menopause is something that's really come to the fore of discussions both around dinner tables and in the media over the last probably 18 months to two years. What's taken us so long to get to the point where we can actually have these open discussions? <laughs> it's, it's a great question, Brian. And it's, it's, I'm so delighted that this is happening because... For so, like I'm 20 years, I, I'm an exercise physiologist, so I've been working, basically I spent the last 20 years, whether it's in research or practice or wherever it is, um, I work with like clinical conditions and we basically use different types and amounts of movement combined with health education to, to improve various conditions. And in the last 20 years I've been working with, I, 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 don't, I couldn't even tell you how many thousands of women at this stage, but you know, uh, you know if, that, if I go back to when I started out my career like I finished sports science when I was 20 we'll say um, you know even at that point women were saying to me Diane I'm really struggling I really like it's a really serious thing Brian like you know people they can't women can't they're serious brain fog they can't remember things they feel like they're not themselves they have huge anxiety they have depression they have all lots of other things that's only scratching the surface now of course some women will have minor symptoms but some women have really debilitating severe symptoms a lot of them and for a very long time so I've been working with women through all of our other programs for a very very long time and of course then I start getting older <laughs> and I've had my own girl um, recently and all sorts of stuff and I really just um, I really 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 just thought it was time that we need specialised and specific health and lifestyle programs for women not just in menopause like the years so in perimenopause um, and really kind of from about 40 years of age plus um, we, we, women need to know what's going to happen what's like even from a physiological perspective what they can expect what but importantly what they have control over um, because from a lifestyle perspective there's an awful lot you can do using different types and amounts of movement with your nutrition you can look at things like um, sleep hygiene which is really badly affected for some women in menopause and there's you know there's a number of key things that we can have a massive impact on and so we created this program of course it's, it's evidence Space. We're all scientists, health researchers have been working in this space in a long time. But um, when I spoke with, with uh, Brian, so Brian O'Farrell is the CEO there of the, the Carlo Chamber. Oh, we know him well. I, I, you know, <laughs> um, 
um, he and, and people like him so we, I pitched Men Are Well at Work and because if you think of it like a lot of w- women who, are, who have all of these symptoms um, and are really struggling and then they're trying to do what they're supposed to do every day at home they're trying to do it at work they're trying to keep pace with all of the million demands that they have and, and there's all of these things happening to them that's not spoken about and they're really struggling like it's, it, they're in an impossible situation mm. and with, of which I have experienced myself so that's why we set up Men Are Well at Work because it's a place where we can target all of these wonderful women who are trying to do 50 million things at the same time while struggling with this and it's a great environment um, to, to, to help them in so, so basically coming back to the Men Are Well at Work program in Carlo so you know Brian said to me Diane you know, this I, this is a really great thing, and I want to support this for um, all the people in Carlo, all of all of the women and their managers and employers who are trying to navigate this space. Because if you think about it, like I've spent many many years specialising in this space, but I, I'm an employer as well. And you know, if, if you take even the diversion and inclus- inclusivity um, uh, policies that a lot of companies have, and now this thing menopause has cropped up, and we're trying to think how can we support these women? It's it's absolutely impossible for you to offer support if you don't understand what you're trying to support. So we need training and education about the menopause, what happens to women, what are the signs and symptoms, how can you support them, how can you do little things and work that will help them. But I suppose from my perspective as well, I've spent many years trying to empower people to look after their own health so that we can live long, healthy, fulfilling lives with good mental health, good physical health. And with some tweaks, you can make it very, very specific to menopause. So really and truly, that's, that's the essence of it. It's about awareness, training, education, but then adding the practical skills with it. So we'll support them as well um, with putting them through what we call multimodal movement classes um, and all of these things that they can do as well to support themselves. But we've been running it for a couple of years and it's been really, really effective. Like, to be, like I've, I've invested my whole life uh, professionally and, and personally in this health and wellness space. And to go from women 20 years ago telling me there is nowhere to go, I don't know what to do, I don't know what help is out there, to literally last week we finished our first research study on this programme and to have those women come to me and say, Diane, this is a game changer. I, yeah. I didn't know 90% of this and I feel even in six weeks I feel so much stronger fitter I have a better grasp on my on my mental health all of these things because knowledge knowledge and um, education and awareness is absolutely power for moving forward it really is Dr. Dan Kipper CEO of EduFit uh, will you stay with us for a moment because after the break I'd like to talk to you around uh, the language of what I would describe as one of the last uh, great taboos in this country uh, women's health it's 10.50 here on Casey Live. We'll be back with a continuation of that discussion in just a moment. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. KCL it's KCLR Live with Brian Redmond this morning. We're talking to Dr. Diane Cooper, CEO of EduFit Clinical Exercise Psychologist and Health Researcher. Um, she's developed a new MenoWell program for women at work, and we're talking about the menopause. Diane, I just wanted to ask and get your thoughts on, you know, obviously moving on 
to discussions about how we can improve uh, the lot of women going through the menopause is the key starting point for this language because women's health I think is probably one of the big taboos we still have in this country and people both men and women often seem to be afraid to engage and use what I would describe as normal language. We still hear it talked about as the change or we still hear periods discussed as the time of the month. Is the key jumping off point acknowledging and using the correct language around these challenges? Absolutely. Um, so you're totally right, Brian. There's two things. So just just talking about it, first of all. Um, and as you said, like we're hearing a lot more about it over the last eight months, which I love. And I, and I obviously shouted from the rooftops just because what happens is when you start talking about something, whether it's the menopause, whether it's the menstrual cycle, whether it's mental health, whatever it is, once you start talking about it and bringing it into normal conversation, it then it normalizes it, normalizes it and it's no longer a big deal. Like the last few companies that we worked with, they said, Diane, like this has actually completely removed the taboo around it. But often I think though, like the taboo and, and fear and things that can be associated with talking about these things comes from the fact that we don't know a lot about it or understand it um, so often just literally sitting down having a conversation whether it's in work or at home or I'm going through this I need some help whatever it is um, using the, the terminology the correct so yet menopause and all of the other um, things that we just talked about but you'd be surprised it's amazing once you have your first conversation whether it's with um, a manager or at home or whatever it is it, it gets a lot easier very very quickly and then all of a sudden it just be, becomes something completely normal and the burden that that can take off someone that's been really struggling or suffering um, is, is act, before we even do anything is fantastic so talking about it and using our, the real terms is really really important it's a great place to start Well it's a six week programme it starts on Monday the 11th of September tell us how people can get involved be they um, HR departments or possibly business owners around Kilkenny and Carlow Absolutely, and and please do come. <laughs> this is really, a fantastic program. Um, so basically, on the Carlo um, Chamber website, you can register on the website. And if you're, a, for example, if you're a large company, you can say how many uh, of your team you want to register. Uh, also, you can uh, email admin at carlochamber.com. And so there are the places that you can register. If you have any questions or you want to talk to me about it a bit more, you can contact me um any of our Edufit website or or social media channels. And basically, just from a logistics perspective what's happening is every Monday at one o'clock we have a lunch and learn for six weeks so we have six topics um, really quickly it's one's on muscle one's on bone one's on heart health one's on nutrition one is on sleeping soundly and one is on self-care and they're all completely centered around the menopause and then we have um, additional uh, physical activity live online sessions in the eve times for people who want to be coached by our full team of experts uh, so there's two things happening for six weeks you'll learn loads um, and we, we'll have a full team to support you the whole way through. And take a place between one and two every day. It's um, something that possibly people could do as part of their lunch break if they wanted to, but they're not going to have to commit resources um, to having staff out of the business um, for hours and hours and hours every week. Not a bit. And we'll record everything and we'll put it in a purpose-built private um, library for people to watch back on if they miss it. Um, and also, I should say that it's completely fully funded by Carlo Chamber, so it's absolutely free for people to take part in. So please do take this opportunity. We'd love to see you on the programme. Dr. Dan Cooper, CEO of Edgefit Clinical Exercise Psychologist and Health Researcher. Thanks for joining us this morning on KCL or Live. Dinners and dinners ready. 
um, text and WhatsApp line 083 306 9696 is hopping, particularly on WhatsApp with people having their guess um, for the uh, what does Tramore mean, trying to pick up those tickets to the amusement arcade. But of course, we've got some money to give away as well. Yes, our mystery sound continues on association with Lahartz. The ID range of electric vehicles is available to view, obviously, at Lahartz. And to celebrate that, we're asking you if you can ID our mystery sound. Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at Lahartz Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahartz.ie. New sound for this week. I'm delighted to have it. And hopefully, um, I might even take a little bit of a liberty this week and try and get it given away by Friday. Let's kick things off by giving you a listen to it. Ooh. Very short. Just like the last couple of weeks, it is short, but that seems... Already I can see faces looking at me through the windows here in the studio. Squinty eyes. I think that could go quite quickly if you think you know what that is. 083 306 9696. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at Lahartz Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahartz.de. There you go. You get those entries in. 083 306 9696. We'll be back with the news of 11 in just a moment. KCLR Live. With thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo. Helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Thanks, Ashton. A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to Olive Keys about um, adults going into second, not secondary, third level education, because, of course, apparently one in 12 adults will engage in third level uh, education at some point. Now, the first thing I think is one in 12 adults, well, discounting all of those 18, 19 and 20 year olds who are in third level as being adults. But uh, is it a challenge that you think somebody who's maybe, you know, trying to hold down a job or running a household is it doable um i'm not really sure like obviously it, i think it is i think anything is doable if you put your mind to it mm, obviously it is <laughs> we like to be positive on a monday morning <laughs> you know yourself um but, yeah. but somebody like me would you classify somebody like me as being teachable yes Yes, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think anyone is teachable if they want to learn. Yeah, so you have it, to want to learn first. It would, so, and, and could you ever envisage yourself going? I mean, I know you've been through it once already. Yeah. Uh, would you do it again later in life if um, something sort of piqued your fancy? Yeah, look, I might look at doing a master's or something like that, but that's a oh. little bit down the line. We'll see. Attempting. I don't know. A master's in what, though? I'm not sure. Like, I've already done the undergrad in journalism, so I'm not sure if it's pointless to do it again. And masters in journalism, yeah, yeah. or if I'd look at something else, I'm not sure. But I think best leave it a little while and just and you see, decide. I, I, I'm really uneducated, I suppose, when it comes to the education system. Because you've done your undergrad in, in journalism, can you do a masters in anything, or do you have to? Uh, you know? Yeah, you can do a masters in anything. So, oh, really? like, if you go directly from college into doing a masters, you have to get a certain grade. But yeah. you can go back and do a masters as like an adult learner as well. So, you know, anyone could do it if you want to. What do you think? What do you think I could do a masters in? Anything you want. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Uh, Ashley, we'll talk to you again at 12 o'clock. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Do keep those text entries coming in for both our tickets uh, to uh, the amusements at Tremor and also your guesses on the mystery sound. Um, an interesting guess in from Avine, uh, Ava Murphy um, who says, is it somebody inhaling balloon air? Uh, no, I don't think it is, Ava. In fact, I know it's not. So that's not a 
I, I could see where you got that sound from, possibly, but it isn't the correct answer. Some of your texts in relation to our conversation that we had on earlier on uh, with Laura Young, who obviously recently left the guards, somebody commenting, we've little no guard presence on the streets of Kilkenny for the last 12 months as crime continues. Surely this is not acceptable. And also somebody else commenting, uh, well done, Laura, for speaking out. I have a son in the Gardaí and things are still the same, if not worse. 083 306 It's a Monday morning. It's eight minutes past 11 o'clock and time to do this. It's a dog's life with Samantha Rawson. One of my best friends, Samantha Rawson. Good morning and welcome along. Hi, Brian. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> You've made me laugh there with that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I like doing that. It's, it's, it's nice to have a bit of laughing. And obviously, we heard John Walsh saying this morning, uh, laughing at least twice a week um, is supposed to be extremely good for your health. And as John rightly said, twice a week doesn't seem like anywhere near enough. Uh, Do you have a good yeah, weekend? Twice a day, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we laugh at least twi- twice or three times every time we have a chat on air. <laughs> How was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I had lots of good intentions, but only made half them. So I got to uh, went off to do the show in Tipperary that was cancelled, but we got to see some sheepdog trials, so that was fun. Yeah, we were talking about the sheepdog trials during the week. I mean, uh, that was on. It's, it's fabulous skill. I mean, those dogs are so intelligent, so uh, well trained, yeah. and 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 just they seem to just love their job. Well, I suppose they, they get to do what they were bred for, which not many dogs can actually say. So they're very lucky dogs because they're bred to herd sheep and they get to herd sheep. Um, and they have a great relationship with their handlers and trainers uh, because obviously it's all about communication. The dog has to listen um, and listen at great distance. That's what's amazing about watching these guys mm. is the dog is down the other end of the field and, and the handler or trainer is, is whistling and giving them commands. And the dog is listening and obeying those commands. I mean, so you're, it's, it's a lovely thing to watch. You always talk about two things that you've sort of referenced there. One is, what was your dog bred to do? Eat, eat pillows off the sofa. Well, don't, don't be surprised that he's eating pillows off the sofa. And that power of recall, I mean, power of recall, I mean, you're, you're seeing it at the absolute ultimate level when you're talking yeah. about sheepdogs. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're, they're just great. But, but even yesterday I was watching some, some sheepdog trials and and one trialist was making loads of noise, and obviously things were going to pot a little bit, <laughs> um, because because the sheep. The thing about the sheepdog trials is they get a different group of sheep, so every dog gets a different group of sheep. So nobody can control what the sheep will do. So so you know it really is down to the patience of the handler. And then another handler came along and was really quiet with very few commands, and their dog seemed to work really well. So now. So whether was that the environment and the conditions and the behaviour of the sheep or was it down to the talent and the skill of the handler Who and their relationship with that dog that they didn't need to give loads of extra commands. So so for me as a dog trainer and, and a dog handler who competes in competition, I was fascinated by the difference between the two handlers. Yeah, I can only imagine it would have been, you would have been like a, a pig in doo-doo, I think, watching yeah, the dog absolutely. trials over the weekend. But listen, it's back to school. And, um, you know, back to school has now become something that's, you can, when you're talking about food, we could frame it around mm. back to school, schedules, fitness, whatever it might be. But dogs are a huge part of our family life and they're affected yeah. by the back to school thing as well. What sort of yeah. advice would you give to people when it comes to the uh, animals and particularly the dogs in our life at this time of year? 
Well, well, I suppose back to school for me means kind of reminding um, the dog also that it has to go back to school. And maybe it's had a little bit of fun over the summer and literally lost the run of itself. And now it's time to, to put a routine back in place and a little bit more structure around the dog life and the family life. So, so for me, back to school is about basic manners. And when I train any dog, it doesn't matter what dog it is, it doesn't matter whether it's a Yorkshire Terrier or a Great Dane, the first thing all dogs learn with me is how to sit. Because sit in my book means please. And I don't give a dog anything until it sits. I don't even start training the dog until it sits. Um, or I don't put a lead on until it sits. I don't, you know, put down a food bowl until it sits. So sit in my book is please. So un- unless the dog sits, it doesn't get anything. So, and then that opens the door to communication. So then it learns to communicate with me in order for me to meet its needs. So one of the next things I do is I teach dogs to wait because you need to open a door for a dog to maybe let it out for a pee or, you know, open the, the door of a crate or open the door of a car or whatever it is. So I teach dogs to wait at doorways. So that also reinforces the sit, but it also teaches patience. So it's like, yes, I will meet your need, but wait, just be patient. And also from a safety point of view, I mean, teaching the dog to both sit and wait yeah. are key. I mean, if you've got a dog that yeah, loves the walk and, you know, as soon as you jump out of the car, before you yeah. know it, it's jumped through from the back seat into the front seat and it's out behind you yeah. and into traffic or whatever it might be. It's, it's key for their safety as well. That's a really good point, Brian, because that's one of the issues where it is really, really dangerous if a dog hasn't been taught to wait at a car door. Because if a car door opens, you could be dropping a child to school and the dog is in the car and the dog jumps out. So, so given the day that's in it and the week that's in it, that's a really important point that if you are bringing the dog with you in the car, it must be restrained by law. I prefer dog crates, but you must also train a dog never to jump out of a car until you tell it, but also you pick up the lead and invite it to jump out. You never let a dog jump out of a car without a lead. It has to have a lead on that you pick up the lead and say, okay, you may come out. Um, yeah, I, I would imagine there's going to be quite a few mishaps maybe in the next couple of days with dogs jumping out of cars so just be really mindful of that okay and the other thing that we were we're talking about is you know we've had the luxury over the summer of having the children at home to entertain the dogs and vice versa and mm. um, means everybody gets loads of exercise and hopefully once it comes past tea time everybody's ready for bed but you know with the children being out of, of, of the house a lot and you know adults mm. going back to their working lives there is a danger that the dogs in the house will just be left to their own devices for large swathes of the day overexcited mm. under, uh, under exercised how do we deal with that? Well, I suppose if you can play with the dog, if you have time to walk the dog in the morning or before you have to work, great. If you don't, playing with the dog, even just playing ball or playing tuggy or sometimes scatter feeding the dog. So, so say somebody says, I don't have time to play, I don't have time to do anything. Then if you can scatter feed the dog in the garden or the yard, so at least it has to work for its breakfast or to put maybe food in, in a bowl that the dog has to roll around the garden or to put food in a snuffle mat or puzzle toys to maybe feed the dog in an interactive way that it has to work to get the food. Um, and, and that way it, it kind of mentally tires the dog out. So you're feeding the dog and you're, you're stimulating its brain and giving it something to think about, which will then hopefully, you know, let it sleep. But, but to be honest with you, dogs tend to relax and sleep when you're not there. Dogs are only kind of active when people are active. So when people aren't around and they're on their own, they tend to just lie down and relax unless they have separation issues. 
and that's a whole different other story. But if they don't have separation issues, they do tend to just lie and relax. They don't they don't run around and want to be to be active all day. And Samantha, something just came to mind there as well. You're talking about being out of the house for for long parts of the day and the dog just being sort of idle, sitting around relaxing. What's your thoughts on these um, almost like baby monitors? You know, the the, the video cameras that you can have to check in on yeah. your pet and you can, oh, hello, Fido, hello. Yeah. Is that fair on the dog to give the dog the sense of excitement that maybe you're home and then you go, oh, Fido, I'm going to jump on another call here, talk yeah. to you later. Uh, what's your no, thoughts on those? No. Yeah, I think great if you can monitor the dog, if you can see what the dog is doing, just to put your own mind at, mind at rest, brilliant, um, that you can check in and see that the dog's okay, fine. But any, any communication device, I think, is a, is a head wreck for the dog because it, it hears you, will probably get excited, will probably come out of its sleep if it's resting and then get excited and expect to see you and then it doesn't see you. So if it's a communication device, I'd say no, absolutely not because they are a total head wreck to the dog. Um, the other thing that, that I say to people is if the dog is in a room by itself and you have to pop into the house, you know, maybe you've forgotten your keys or you've forgotten your diary or something, don't go and say hello to the dog. Just go and get your stuff and disappear again. So that's something that I put into my own training routine with my own dogs because I always forget my diary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my dogs don't expect to see me every time I come back, Do you know. Um, so if you're if you're disappearing again in five minutes, it's kinder not to say hello to the dog, just to leave it where it is, um, because dogs do expect you know engagement when you come back. So I think if you're only popping home for five or ten minutes, I would just leave the dog where it is and don't say hello. But any of those interactive devices where you can communicate, no way. Yes, monitor monitor the dog if you can see it, and make sure that it's okay and put your own mind at ease. Um, but if you're worried about the dog being left for, for long periods during the day, maybe get in a dog walker. I would much prefer a dog walker to come in to the house rather than a dog going to doggy daycare. Doggy daycare is really only suitable for puppies and young dogs. It's not really suitable for older dogs. So I much prefer a dog walker to come in if dogs are, are going to be on their own. And are there a lot of dog walkers out there, Samantha? And if there are, what type of credentials, if you like, should be looking for? Well, I suppose there are a couple in Kilkenny and I used to walk dogs in Dublin many years ago and the way I started my business was I got to know the vets. So I went around my local neighbourhood and I introduced myself to all the vets and I built up a relationship with the vets and then obviously then when I built up a few clients, then I got references from the clients. So for any new client, I had a reference from the vets and I also had a reference from existing clients. So that's the way I built up my business. Um, and would you yeah. caution that as well I mean because obviously that there might be somebody sitting at home with all the greatest will and intentions of the world going but sure I'm walking my own two dogs at lunchtime maybe I could you know get a couple of quid off a few of the neighbours and go around and collect their dogs and walk them at the time is it something that you'd need to seriously consider taking on before you did and, and maybe even yeah. go to an experienced dog trainer and don't, a good dog handler to get some, some key advice on yeah yeah, I would always suggest either volunteering or, or coming and do some work experience or shadow somebody who's experienced. But volunteering for any of the rescues or the animal charities is a great way to get experience with dogs. But the other thing about looking after people's dogs is insurance. Because you are legally liable for that person's dog when mm. you're out in public. So it's not as easy peasy as somebody says, oh, I have a dog, I walk it every day, I'll walk somebody else's dog. Because once you take that dog out in public, you are legally responsible for that dog. So, it's, you know, you must have, you know, insurance and you must have pub public liability insurance. So if you're going to do it professionally and charge people money for it, you do have a duty of care to the client and to the dog. 
So, so if you if you're thinking of going into it as a small business, you know, maybe do it voluntarily because once you take money off somebody, that's it. That's changes you know, the parameters totally, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it's it's a commercial transaction, so so you have to have all your ducks in a row and insurance is part of that. And just finally, Samantha, I mean, as you said, a huge change for everybody at this time of year, getting back into the routine um, from what was the summer, less less time-constrained routine. How long and how quickly do dogs sort of get into that new routine and adapt to their normal for the next six to eight months ahead? I would say dogs will adapt within a couple of weeks. You know, if they're not adapting, there might be something going on or there might be a problem. So if they're not adapting, maybe ring a dog trainer or ring a behaviourist or ring me. Um, but usually dogs adapt into a new routine within a week. So don't worry too much. Yeah, don't worry too much. Well, if Samantha. A problem, then seek help. Yeah, seek help. As always. Listen, Samantha, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Have a good week ahead. You too. Thanks, Brian. Take care. Samantha Rawson from the Canine College. And of course, Samantha will be joining us um, next week, please, God. All being willing. It's a dog's life. <laughs> with Samantha Rawson. Yeah, lots of interesting entries on our competition, our mystery sound brought to you by La Hearts, trying to identify the mystery sound and indeed celebrate the ID range of electric vehicles available up at La Hearts. Ashling Farrell is asking, is it sellotape? Somebody suggesting that it's blowing food to cool it down. Um, is the KCLR sound sellotape? Mm, a couple of people going with sellotape, although different spellings of the word sellotape and I can't talk because I am a terrible speller. But I'm very much of the mind that as long as you get the message across, that's all that matters. And um, to both of those entrants on Sellotape, I got the message, but it's not the right one. Finally, somebody asking, is it something being put into a sieve? Uh, Mary Dormer, no, it's not it's sort of close-ish, but not quite there. Coming up after this short break, Colin Ahern. Yeah, huge challenges again facing the hospitality sector. Maybe, maybe not, because they're talking about the removal of that reduced 9% VAT rate. We'll get Colin's thoughts on that after this. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets, and a state of the art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Yes, you're welcome back. It's 23 minutes past 11 o'clock this Monday morning, the 28th of August. Guesses continue to come in for our mystery sound. Uh, Moira Martin is asking, is it a coffee pot dispensing coffee? Well, uh, although it's a fantastic idea, Moira, unfortunately, it's not the correct answer. But you've got me thinking. And also somebody commenting that uh, now that the kids are back in school, the life expectancy of drivers is going to be reduced greatly due to the heavy volumes of traffic. James, I agree with you. I made the uh, schoolboy, excuse the pun, error of going to one of the large shopping centres yesterday afternoon. I think every child in the country had left it the last moment to pick up school shoes and backpacks and the like because trying to get out of there yesterday afternoon nearly drove me around the bend. Well, actually, I would have been quite happy to drive around the bend because we weren't going anywhere. Traffic up, of course, as schools return. But don't worry because John Keane will keep you up to date with traffic right throughout the, the afternoon here on KCLR. Now, somebody else who is uh, got concerns about what the future holds, Colin O'Hearn is the general manager of the Kilkenny Ormond Hotel. And major blows are potentially coming to that hospitality sector as the government looks set to scrap the 9% VAT rate that they have, have been on uh, for the last number of months and years. And join us to give us his thoughts on, on, on that scrapping is Colin O'Hearn. Good morning, Colin. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. First of all, give us uh, and our listeners a little bit of a history of that 9% VAT rate. 
Yeah, so, you know, as we came out of the first um, economic recession or the economic crash, um, the government, um, in, in a bid to boost the tourism industry and to boost the, the visitors coming into our country, they reduced the VAT on tourism-related products uh, from 13.5% to 9%. And then <clears throat> about a year before COVID struck, uh, that was increased back to 13.5%, and then when COVID struck, it was reduced again to 9%. And hence, we're here now, and on the 1st of September, um, the, the VAT on <coughs> um, tourism-related services um, is going to increase again back up to 13.5%, which, in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, is going to add the bones of 5% onto the price of every cup of coffee, every steak, <coughs> every hotel bedroom, every um, every tour around one of our one of our heritage sites, you name it, um, and it's just really not helpful. Um, and 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 in the middle of a cost of living crisis, it's going to add uh, the cost um, of all those things when we need more people to be engaging and coming out and visiting our country. Um, just to start off and to uh, challenge a little bit on this, obviously the, that reduced fat rate was brought in at times when the country was facing huge, huge challenges, as you mentioned, the COVID yep. pandemic. I might testify, though, that somebody who is um, actually staying in a hotel for the weekend and eating steak isn't struggling too much with the cost of living crisis. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there there are a lot of reasons why people come to stay in hotels. And ju- just to be, if I, can, can I just be clear, it's not just about hotels. It's all tourism-related services. So it's your cafe, um, tourism hospitality service. So it's your cafe in your county town. It's, you know, it's it's all those things. It's not just hotels. Uh, Brian, it's easy to forget. Fifteen months ago, I couldn't have a function in this hotel. Yeah. Uh, there were 155 staff that only for the government were paying their wages would have been laid off for, for, for the bones of two years. Our industry was decimated. And we and whether we like to say it or not, we like to hear it, it's still recovering and will take a long time to recover. And doing something like this is certainly not going to help to increase business. The, the government themselves have their own targets of increasing tourism coming into our country up to 13 million visitors from 10 million visitors a year. We're only going to make ourselves more uh, more uncompetitive. And when it goes to 13.5%, in the whole of the EU, in the whole 27 member states, we have the second highest VAT rate. With only, uh, <coughs> well, sorry, the, the UK are above us and one other country. Uh, the second highest VAT rate in the EU for, for tourism-related services. It's just, it, it's just not right. So would you like to see this um, 9% fat rate? I mean, we talked last week how it affects, for example, hairdressers. We, we, you spoke to a couple of hairdressers who also feel they're going to struggle if this 9% rate um, is abolished. Would you like to see that 9% rate become a fixed standard rate of VAT that will be applicable to the hospitality service or for, 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 for all the way for the future? Or do you think it's an interim yeah. step that we need to just expand a little bit further on? Well, I mean, and and just and you're right. Hairdressers, leisure clubs, swimming pools, all those sort of services, their prices are going to go up by five percent um, across the board from 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 the first of September. Um, I think nine percent is the right VAT rate for tourism. It keeps us broadly in line and in the middle um, of what countries are doing all over Europe. Um, and in my opinion, they should. I mean, like I'm. I, I'm contracting with American tour operators right now for 2026 and 2027. Um, and so, you know, like, 
I need to know what, what our VAT rate is going to be. Now, I'm contracting at 13.5% for the moment because that's what I know it's going to be. Um, because I don't think that the government are going to back down and I think it's going to be 13.5%. But if they were to reduce it, theoretically, and leave it at 9%, yes, they should be doing so for, uh, for, for the foreseeable future. It shouldn't be an interim measure, in my opinion. And um, people contesting here that hotels can tell you are full uh, every night, I and mean, this is the type of uh, you know comment that I'm sure won't be new to you, Colin. But nevertheless, we'll pull it across anyway. Uh, hotels full in Kilkenny every night. All trade suffered. Why should hotels and the wider hospitality sector get that reduction in VAT rate? You know they're creaming it with the tourists and high costs of food anyway. Yeah. Um, look, like I said, it's it's the entire tourism and hospitality industry. Um, I don't know of, of other industries that were entirely closed for 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 the bone two years. Yes, other businesses suffered, but they weren't closed down uh, and they weren't shut. And their staff and and made lay, lay their staff off and made close their kitchens and close their bedrooms. Um, so it is a little bit different. Um, the hotels in Kilkenny are busy. Um, and um, there's, I think, in the last in the, the last data to come out, about 10% of the hotel bedrooms in Kilkenny um, are contracted to the government at the moment. And God knows how many of those uh, of the businesses that would have been Airbnbs or guest houses. So I suppose the reason why the hotels and the business are busy during the summertime. And remember, this is this is our peak. Our peak tourist season, so we would want to be busy because November and December and January and February and March, where we would have typically somewhere in the region of fifty to sixty percent occupancy, um, are only around the corner. Um, and uh, so we need to be busy now because this is when we need to make our money to keep us and our teams um, going throughout the winter season. And Carl, I mean, you know, the government has been urged by OPEC to consider a U-turn on on that changing of the VAT rate. Do you think at this stage it's a fait accompli um, or is it IBEC and the likes of yourself just trying to really get that message across there to the government before they make a decision? In my opinion, it's a fait accompli. Um, I think that there has been a huge amount of bad press around the actions of some Dublin, in particular Dublin accommodation providers around large events such as uh, Taylor Swift and those sort of things. Um, I'm constantly speaking to our um, to our politicians, explaining that you know the 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 positive stuff about tourism is that 70% of the people employed in tourism are employed outside of Dublin. It is it is a pillar a pillar industry in Kilkenny. There's over five and a half thousand people employed in tourism in Kilkenny, mm. and. Every single one of the people listening to your show now knows has a family member or a cousin or a friend that's working in it and and got their first job in it. So it's a really important industry for us to keep uh, and and keep um, to, to 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 look after. Um, and I think it's short sighted to look at the um, to, to to look at what some Dublin or Gall hotels are doing in terms of the sort of prices that they're charging people for uh, you know uh, for 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 the last number of rooms. Um, and I think, yeah, the government have, have listened to public opinion on it, and I think the VAT rate will go to 13.5%. And it's a shame for the leisure clubs, it's a shame for the cafes, it's a shame for the tour op- for the tour operators, for the tour guides, it's a shame for... And, and for the customers themselves, because, like, like mark my words, every, it is a direct tax, and, you know, every single penny of it will simply be passed on to the consumer. Um, and so, that, you know, if... if for example, uh, a scone was one euro, it'll be one euro and five cents. <laughs> I'll call it. I think it's been a while since a scone well, has been one it, euro anywhere, it, to be quite honest. It, 
if it's three euro or four euro, it'll be it'll be five percent dearer on the first of September, and that's just the way it is. And Colin, obviously, many people, including myself, you know, began began our working lives in the hospitality sector. Mm. When you've when you've made these cases uh, to the local politicians, how's it been received? Have they sort of gone, Ah, Colin? Yeah, we understand, but sure, there's no public opinion for it, or are they just completely brushing you off? Exactly what you said the first time. <clears throat> um, they generally, especially the ones down the the, the, the politicians in the country and our, our politicians, Kenny, have all come back to me over the last number of weeks. That Colin, absolutely, we understand the importance of tourism to Kenny and, and our region, Kenny Carlo. Um, uh, but you know, there 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 is no way that uh, the VAT rate is going to be kept. The public opinion is too strong with regard to it returning to 13.5%. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 there, there, there seems to be a general feeling that, you know, that, that the, the tourism businesses and the Dublin hotels are going to pay more tax. They're, they are, but they're going to put the prices up even further because it's a direct tax. It's a direct tax, and it's simply going to go on the price of everything that's there. Um, and um, yeah, look, it, it, it's 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 going to be challenging. It's it's unwelcome, uh, and I suppose the, the one thing I want to get across is it's not. Uh, it's not just the Dublin Hotel. It's the it's the cafe in your in your county town. It's the leisure club that you use. It's the hairdresser you use. It's the um, it's the restaurant or the bar uh, you might visit uh, for food. It's 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 all those things that are affected by it. And just finally, Colin, if this does happen, as you said, sort of believe it will, uh, will it be a case that you'll be reducing your uh, margins, or will it be a case that, like many, you'll be putting up prices? Uh, n- nearly, nearly every single, certainly outside of Dublin, nearly every single hospitality or tourism business that I know works on a margin of somewhere between ten and twenty percent. Um, they can't take they can't take a hit of four and a half percent out of that. So I can I can assure you that every single business will be putting the prices up by uh, by by that by by the increase in the VAT rate uh, because they could not afford to do otherwise. Colin Hearn, I really appreciate your time this morning. Colin, General Manager of the Fabulous Kilkenny Ormond Hotel right here in the city. Thanks for your time this morning. It's 25 minutes to 12 o'clock. Uh, lots more entries coming in for our mystery sound. Some quite interesting ones as well. I'll just give you a little flavour. People asking, is the mystery sound a riddler? For riddling sand. Well, I know that's not the correct answer, but I'm also completely oblivious as to what a riddler for riddling sand is. Maybe that texter could get back in touch and let me know. And uh, people also asking, is it is it sort of a sieve, sieving things? It's, again, close, but not quite right. Do keep those guesses coming in. And if we get a correct guess in between now and the end of the show, we'd be able to give somebody 100 euros. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR. Good morning, it's 22 minutes to 12 o'clock and it's Brian Redmond with you on KCL or live this morning. As Leaving Cert students across the country are set to receive their CAO offers later this week, not the only ones who are continuing their education journey this autumn. Olive Keyes is from the Ormond College of Further Education and she joins us on the show this morning. Good morning, Olive. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Great, great to have you on. First of all, education is not just um, the, the, the present, the, the gift that's given to young people. It's something, as we heard at the twelve o'clock, the 11 o'clock news when I was asking Ashling, it's something that anybody of any age can engage in. Yes, that's right. We have uh, learners of all ages that um, engage in our programmes here in Ormond College. 
And um, some mature learners will say their circumstances um, may have changed. Their children might have left home. They may not have had the opportunity to attend college when they were um, at leaving start age. And in some cases, they have free time and they have an opportunity now to invest um, in their own uh, goals. So um, many of our uh, learners are adults and they come back and they try out a career area that they may have been interested in but were unwilling maybe to um, invest or commit to uh, three or four year college courses. So uh, with the programs here, they do work experiences, uh, part of the program, and they get a feel for the vocational area while uh, doing the academic end of their program as well. And uh, the work experience uh, really gives people an opportunity to um, try out that career area and see if it is for them. Some of our uh, students, um, are uh, when, they're, when they're in their work experience, they get on so well, they get offered jobs. And um, that then leads them to either uh, committing to that particular vocational area and continuing on a academic program or engaging in the workplace then from there on. Well Olive, it's described as just as over just over one in twelve adults take part in some sort of formal education in their later life. Um just quantify that later life for us. I mean what sorts of age groups are you talking about and what's the sort of oldest students that you've come across who've decided for whatever reason to re engage with education? Uh, well, there are many people who even post retirement from different um, uh, areas that they would have been in, and they have this kind of uh, time where they're maybe in receipt of um, social welfare payments and they decide to change career direction. So we would have people in their 50s and 60s that sometimes come back to us and uh, engage in, in um, programs and then go on uh, in the workplace um, to that vocational area, uh, kind of a completely different pathway. But we would also have people, we have a lot of people who uh, maybe missed out on formal education um, when they were uh, attending, like they they may have went straight into the workplace at 15, 16, and may have not committed, they may not have done a leaving cert or junior cert, but have always been interested in pursuing a particular pathway. And then they decide to come back and do that at maybe 30, 40, when their kids are, are, reared and gone off to college they decide that they want to go back and do this for themselves you know so like you've all ages really a lot of people um we would have also had and maybe uh would have followed a particular career path and um maybe had to change career paths because of um uh, the way uh, the economy is like in some instances you have people who have were commuting huge distances for working construction and that may no longer be feasible for them so they decide to uh, change careers so that they can maybe work closer to home and find a job that's more in line with their um with their family life at that particular time. And uh, oftentimes they get jobs because they're really motivated and willing. Uh, they, they are often recruited uh, through the work experience program because if they if they perform well there, the, the employers are really happy then to take that person on as um, a member of their staff. So people's career directions are changed as a result sometimes of the work experience program. Absolutely. And Ormond College have a huge range of programmes available to people who might want to engage with education later in their lives. Give us a bit of a flavour of the type of things on offer. 
Well, we have um, a, a wide range of programmes with uh, childcare, youth work, healthcare, nursing, community care, applied psychology, art, craft, animation, uh, software and office administration, uh, hairdressing, beauty, equestrian and animal care, exercise, health, uh, media and even tattoo this year and tourism and business and all of those different uh, disciplines have a variety of courses uh, within them and um, so if there's anyone interested in any of those areas um, I'd suggest that you go onto the website ormancollege.ie uh, and there'll be further details relating to the specific courses that uh, people might be interested in you know and uh, contact us here we're intern- over the next week or two for programmes in those disciplines um, in the next week or two. And Olive, with employment rates being as high as they are at the moment, there's a real opportunity here for people who may never have engaged in third level education, maybe later in life or consider considering changing careers. There's a real opportunity for people to affect their lives financially in, in the workplace um, as a result of taking some of these courses. Yeah, and um, like the, I know um, we've had people who are receiving social welfare payments, and in some cases they'll be able to continue um, uh, to receive those payments and complete a course, but they need to kind of contact Intrio, uh, Intro to uh, make sure that that can be facilitated. But um, like if they put their case to uh, those very often they can maintain their financial um, supports while trying out these uh, courses and doing the work placement, which gives them a real, it kind of gives them a stepping stone into the workplace, um, into the vocational area, and uh, secures them, I suppose, until they um, uh, achieve um, a full employment contract. And Olive, you mentioned Intrio there has been a good connection for people to make if they are considering getting involved in third level education to see if they can maintain um, whatever supports they may be on at the moment. But I presume also Ormond College have a huge range of supports and advice available to people who may be just at the point where they're considering going back into third level education. Yeah, that is true. And we have, um, with the guidance counsellor, if there's any also, if there's any people who who maybe need supports from a point of view of uh, special educational needs, we um, can, if they have uh, documents, they can uh, be facilitated in getting supports through uh, the programmes here as well. Um, and uh, just get in contact with us, make the application, uh, come for the interview, and we'll direct you then to the various different uh, departments and people who will be able to um, facilitate that. And Olive, are all of the courses available at Ormond, are they all full-time courses on campus? Um, or there are, are there a variety of options for people uh, to find a course that might suit their normal day-to-day lives? Um, they, are, uh, they are all full-time courses um, here on Ormond College. There are other options then through uh, the community education for to avail and through adult education to do part-time um, sort of uh, shorter courses. Uh, but the courses here are free and um, uh, from this year their uh, books, equipment, uh, kits, all of that sort of thing are completely taken care of. Um, so there is no cost to the learner. Uh, when engaged in a course uh, here at Ormond College from from uh, 2023, the September entry on. And I know any time we've spoken to representatives from Ormond College, obviously, you know, 
keen to let people know of the fabulous opportunities you have at Ormond College. But I think more importantly, you always seem keen just to let people know of the benefits of getting involved in education, wherever it may be. And what would you say to anybody who's listening at home today who maybe thinks they missed out on opportunities earlier in their lives or maybe now just feels like the right time? Um, well, I'd say get in contact, like uh, look at the website there or get in contact with us and um, just have a look at the various dis- different disciplines and um, have a, uh, also make connections uh, with adult guidance uh, within the area. In KCETB, they have adult guidance services and they can offer a kind of interest tests to make sure that, uh, you know, to, to uh, I suppose, help people make decisions about what future pathway is best for them. Um, we also here at the college will help them in that decision as well when we come for interview and, and talk to them about themselves. And in some instances, they might come in and to be interested in one particular area. But when you tease it out, they um, actually might be best served in a different area. So it, it really is, um, uh, you know, important that they make contact with the um, uh, adult guidance and with us and uh, then we'll help them to work out a pathway from there. Um, but uh, it's never too to make uh, that particular jump. And in many of our students, most of our students, you meet them going down the streets afterwards and they're delighted that they, had, uh, they took that opportunity because it gives them the confidence to go forward either into the workplace or into Uh, college at a later stage. Olive Keyes from the Ormond College of Further Education thank you very much for your time this morning encouraging people of all ages at this time of year to consider the value of third level education. It is 12 minutes to uh, 12 o'clock we're going to take a short break after which we'll be back with some music from Republic of Luce. KCLR Live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card. The perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie KCLR Start walking when your mouth starts moving. You organized, you so organized. 
Christ You wanna pull my fly up I'm all drunk and you want me to dry up Tied up in all the ways your eyes can fight up My lies are dried up Tied up like a belly and fight up In the belly and wide up To the way your nose inclined up I'm, 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 I'm making my mind up You know On the Monday morning, 7 minutes to 12 o'clock, almost every child in the country back in school. And I hope you're all enjoying that uh, free house vibe. For those of you that know, yeah, it is a pretty special vibe to have. If you've still got uh, the odd monster running around the house, not long to go. We've still got one at home. Come Wednesday morning, she'll be gone off to school as well. Um, lots happening this morning. Great to have all our guests on the show. We were giving away tickets um, given to us by our friends at Tremor Amusement Park. They wanted to thank all of their customers for the continued support during 2023. And they gave us a pack of 10 tickets to the amusement park to give away. We've more of them coming every day this week. Uh, the winner this morning, though, was from one of my favourite places in Kilkenny Inco. It is um, Kathleen Carroll. She correctly danced guessed that Tremor means big strand and she's from Skjokvorstein love uh, showing off my pronunciation skills by getting that one right congratulations to you Kathleen uh, we've also been doing this all morning long the Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR with thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hertz Volkswagen Kilkenny visit lahertz.ie and we have a contestant on the line who's going to have a go, correctly or incorrectly, live on air. We'll find out in a moment. Adina Descalesco. Uh, good morning to you, Adina. Good morning, Brian. Where are you joining us from this morning? Um, from Penny um, Green. Oh, have you been on the radio with us before? Yes. You have? Okay, well, have you, let's see if, you're, if, if this morning's call will be worth your while. The question we're asking you is if people can identify this particular sound. Don't have a guess just yet. I'll give you one last listen to it. Oh, that's a different one to the one we were playing earlier on. We've got a couple of them there. Um, what was your guess for our mystery sound this morning, Adina? Uh, pouring rice in a jar. Pouring rice in a jar. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, you're correct. You've just won 100 euros, Adina. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. And what are you going to spend that on? I'm going to start the week. Well, I didn't think. 
Like, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm have, sure I'll find something. <laughs> have you got um, people that going back to school or anything like that that you need to yes. worry about? You one have. One and another one going on Wednesday, so. Yeah, like my, like my house. And what's their names and how old are they? Uh, Daria, she's 13, and Antonia, she's 7. Okay, well, Daria probably has her eyes on a fancy pair of trainers or something like that for going back uh, to school. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adina, congratulations. You did correctly Thank guess so that much. it was rice it was going into a jar. Um, we actually had two or three people who guessed that correctly, but based on the times of the text and WhatsApps coming in, Adina, you were first in, and as they say, first in, best dress. Congratulations okay. to you. And, uh, Thank you so much. Wish the kids a good turn to school from us here and from everybody at KCLR. Congratulations. That is our VW Mystery Sound. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hertz Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahertz.ie. Yes, don't worry though, we've still more of those tickets to the amusements at Tremor to give away all week long. Thanks to all our guests this morning. Lots of comment uh, coming in on former guard Laura Young joining us just after 10 o'clock this morning. Larry Donnelly told us all about the Kennedy Summer School and as he said, tickets still available for anybody who's interested at kennedysummerschool.ie. Dr. Diane Cooper, CEO of, o- o- CEO of EduFits, that was difficult to say, joined us earlier on to talk about the Men Are Well at Work program that's coming up in association with Carlo Chamber of Commerce. Samantha Ross and Colin O'Hearn, the manager of the Ormond's Hotel and Olive Keys talking about adult education. Thanks to all of the team. Amy McLaughlin helping out in production today. Siobhan and everybody else behind the scenes answering your texts, your WhatsApps and your calls. Appreciate all the help. Um, John Keane is up after the news at 12 and I'll be back with you bright and early. Well, not as early as John Walsh, but bright and early for me. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Take care. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie.